You're listening to the Say Chill podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd. Say Chill is a social impact organization that helps people see who they are made to be so they can do what they're made to do. The following podcast was recorded at this year's Say Chill training, an in-depth experiential training that helps people bring their heart to what they are called to do. To learn more, you can visit saychilltraining.com. The spiritual root system is the emotional and spiritual name for the characteristics of the heart. Your feelings are eight tools that we've been given to be able to live fully in a tragic place. Now, this is where it gets kind of strange. This is where you might think of me as kind of like, come on, kind of rigid. But let me just say it this way. There are three primary colors. True? Any big argument? Big debate? Okay, three primary colors. And if with just three, what can we do? Make a lot of colors? You betcha. We can paint a world, right? I mean, there are 52 shades of green or tones of green in Ireland alone. 52. So there are three shades, three uh, primary colors, and a multitude of expressions that come out of those. There are a certain number of musical notes, and that's not some big, big debate. And we still haven't finished the combinations that can be synthesized or accorded. We haven't finished the symphonies that can be written yet. And we've been doing music a long time. We've been combining the musical notes a long time. So I'm asking us and you to consider, I'm kind of clear on it for me, but there are only eight feelings. So I'm asking you to consider that there may, there may really be a fairly simple number of feelings. Eight. They're just eight. And those eight cover a lot of ground. And out of those eight come a multitude of expressions, multitude of names for experiences. You grow millions of words out of those eight. But unless you know the eight, you're no better with paint unless you know the three, three primary colors. You can't be a true artist, a painting artist, unless you know the three primary colors. You can't do symphonies without the notes. And you can't do life without the feelings, is what I'm saying. <clears throat> because feelings are the tools that we've been given by birth to be able to live fully in a place that's tragic. Okay? And we'll talk about that tragedy in just a minute. One way of expressing that tragedy before anything happens is that human beings, the only fit that a human being has is the face that they're a misfit in life. Because what you're capable of hungering for and wanting will not match what you can have in this life. Do you got that? What you can imagine and what is going to happen are two very different things. And you'll always be able to imagine more than will ever happen here. Okay? You can always picture a better place than what you're going to experience here. Right? Life will never truly give you what you're capable of experiencing in it. So the only fit in life is to kind of face that we're misfits. And unless we're able to live well as misfits, which we're going to look at it, really, frankly, chapter 11 of Hebrews. And say that the, the ancients were commended 
for being sure of what they hope for and certain of what they do not see and going towards a country they never were going to get to. Like, oh, they were comfortable in their pain being strangers and aliens in a place that didn't fit them. Okay? That's where the living in it but not of it, I think, comes to a real dirty life in terms of like putting your feet in the dirt and walking forward. Like, this is real. This is real. So the feelings are gifts that we've been given to be able to deal with life on life's terms. Let's look at them very briefly. Fear is a feeling that allows us to know that we're in danger. And so fear is a feeling that allows me to go help. Help. Little kids are great at fear. Little kids, like I mentioned earlier, are scared of the dark because they're smart. And they're smart without having experienced a lot of life. They naturally know that that's where the bad things happen without experiencing it. And we get trained to be able to walk into it, pretend we're not experiencing the fear that we're made to have in it, and acting like the dark isn't happening. Do you get that? We live in dangers if it's not happening. That's called denial, suppression. Fear is a feeling that lets you get help so you know how to walk in the dark well. See, fear is a feeling that allows you to get help so you can become capable of walking in faith. Fear gets you help, which gets you skills, which gets you abilities, which allows you to have faith. You can be sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see, step into taking risks, keep hope, and whether or not what you're looking for to happen happens, whether or not it does, you're able to stay in it. See, faith in its baby form is hope plus risk. I literally dared Stephen James to have some faith. To, to admit your fear, Stephen, I'm walking right into your house. I'm walking right through your cynicism if you dare. I'm walking right past your sardonic nature. I'm walking right into your pusillanimous attitude. But I'm walking right into all those things that protect you, dancing past your barricades and saying, hey, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with me? Okay? And he took the risk of saying, this is dangerous, but something's awakened me to say, show me. Okay? Because something in him was waiting to hope again and risk again, hoping that there would be an outcome favorable to... I want you to hear that we are that removed from caring about ourselves. See, because is the answer you, Chip? He took a risk of, of wanting an outcome good for you? No. Stephen James was looking for one thing, his next plate of food for him. Okay? Right? Yeah. yeah. And then it turns out, like, you know what? You know what I'd like better than a plate of food? I would love to, like, grow some wheat fields. Man, I'm looking for a harvest because I'm greedy. I'm made to crave. That's which fulfills my life. See, we're taught that somehow craving is a negative experience. Guys, we're made to crave. I think God gets really sad a lot of times because we're, we're so not greedy. We don't say, I want what I want. See, you're made to want what you want and when you want it. But you're not able to do that until you can hear the word no, not yet. If you can hear no, not yet, you need to be one craving son of a gun. If you can't handle no, you're not able to crave without having to have your control over everything, which means, which means instead of craving, you're going to lust because you want to do whatever you got to do to keep yourself from feeling loneliness or fear or hurt or sadness or whatever those things happen to be. 
So baby faith is hoping for something and risking with an outcome you hope will be favorable to you. And guess what? When an outcome is favorable to you, do you know what you have next? <clears throat> you have a memory. So next time there's a challenge in life, you go, whew, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but you know, I remember. I remember. And that's what the Jews were always doing all the time. The Hebrews are always doing. They're always remembering. Oh, this is bad. This is bad. It's like a very sophisticated hee-haw or you know, like a country show. <laughs> like, this is bad. This is bad. They go, I know it's bad, but you've got to remember when it was good. They say, remember the Red Sea. Remember that. Remember when Jericho. Remember, 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 remember. Just have a memory. And then finally, faith becomes certainty. It doesn't matter what happens. I can't get away from the witness I know. Like, oh. So I want you to know the birthplace of that faith is fear. So fear is not a badness. Fear is the potential to grow into the person you're made to be. That's just one little example. Sadness is a feeling that expresses grief when you lose what matters to you. That's it. And sadness takes you to a place called loving again. Uh, Sonia was telling me that in the, uh, the midwives, this woman just terrible loss. And like, how do you do it? Well, you just keep living till you want to live again. Like, and it, it's in you to do. But if you run from grief, the energy it takes to run from loss is greater than the experience of grieving the loss, which brings you back to life. There's a grieving unto life. And there's a grieving unto death. Grieving unto life is catharsis, letting it out. Grieving unto death is acatharsis, keeping it to yourself, which means protecting yourself from ever grieving again. I can remember Tennyson saying when we buried, uh, uh, really it was Sonia and our cat before we ever had children, Miss Kitty. And we've had like three Miss Kitties. They're all Miss Kitty. It's like, <laughs> Miss Kitty. What's the cat's name? Miss Kitty. But uh, the cat died, and we buried it one night, and, and Sonia was crying, and Tennyson said, hey, if this is what it means to have a pet, I don't want one. And you know what now? He said, I can't wait. I've got to want a dog. He's named the little dog. He's a little, little herder dog he wants. In other words, he's saying, I'm willing to pay the price to have the life I'm made to have. The life you're made to have is connection. Uh, mattering, where it matters. Worth, connection, attachment. Caring. And so sadness is the caring feeling. Hurt is a feeling that tells you that you've experienced the wound and you're in need of healing. Loneliness is a feeling that tells you that you're made for relationship and you need to reach out and seek the relationship you're made to have. Will you be with me? Would you spend time with me? God, with myself. Guys, anytime you spend time with yourself, listening to yourself, you're going to wind up talking to God. But see, the difference between isolation and solitude, both are being by yourself. But isolation, I'm going somewhere to get away from me. Solitude, I'm going somewhere to get with me. Two different things. Solitude is a willingness to, have, to experience whatever happens. Isolation is trying to go somewhere where I don't have to be with me. So we need to learn how to live well with ourselves. And God gave us eight feelings to be able to live with ourselves, others, Him, and life itself on earth. And you notice that it looks like seven of them are bad on that sheet, but there are no bad ones. They're all good. They're all perfectly made to allow us to live fully in a place that ain't so good sometimes, so to speak, that's really tough. So loneliness is a need for relationship with yourself, others, and God. It's all in the voice of the heart. I'm just going to short circuit through it. And then there's uh, anger. 
which is the big confusing feeling for everybody. People just really, and I know how come too, people have a real problem with what I'm about to say. Anger is the most vulnerable feeling of all the feelings because anger shows what you care about. Other words for anger are synonymous that aren't anger. I mean, they're close to it. They resemble it. Wishing is an angry word. Hoping is an angry word. Because anger shows what you're looking for. Anger shows what you care about. Anger shows what matters to you. Anger shows what you need. Anger shows who you are. Anger shows what you're looking for. Anger is that thing that allows you to reach to create something or reach to eat something. Do you see? That you hope you can have, I mean. So wishing, wanting, hoping, hunger, thirsting, yearning, longing, desiring, those are angry words. Jesus is the angriest person I've ever met. I mean, brought it all. Laid it out. It's like, goes to the garden, he's angry. I don't want to do this, please. Goes to Peter. Hey, Peter, come on, man. You could do this. You could do this. Anger. Like, the angry enough to forgive. Angry enough to wish. Angry enough to hope. Angry enough to long. Angry enough to risk. Angry enough to, to lean in. You see? Angry, angry. But see, we, as a nation of addicts do not know that anger is different from rage. See, when people hear anger, they hear tearing something up. They hear threatening with power. They hear uh, somebody told, you don't do this, you're going to pay. They hear power over someone when anger is an invitation to someone. See, rage is power over someone. It's rooted in terror. Rage is about terror. There's no anger in rage. And there's no rage in anger. Okay? Anger is a desire. It's the ultimate vulnerability. The gift of anger that it takes you to a place when you're admitting that you're wanting something, born to want something, you can't stop wanting, you're compelled, you're, 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 you're all in and you can't get out. So passion is a willingness to be in pain for something that matters more than pain and it grows out of caring or anger. Caring and anger are the same thing. Okay? And then there's guilt. Guilt is a feeling you have whenever you do something. Big D-O. Do. Big D-O. Guilt is always about doing. You have to do something. That's an action or a premeditated plan that goes against your true heart. That goes against who God made you. Guilt is an action. And actions and premeditated experiences can be forgiven. Okay? Because you can admit... I was wrong to do that, and I am sorry, okay? That's guilt. See the beauty of it? I was wrong to do that, and I meant to do it to you. Give me myself back. Give for me back. Give it, please. Give you back to me. Like, whew, it's a huge thing. Now, shame on that sheet of the eight feelings, healthy shame is what every human being is born into. It is, the, it is the beginning of every permission you have to feel everything you feel. Healthy shame is the unnamed recognition of how human you are and how dependent you're made. It's the unnamed, because you can't name it. You don't think it. You're just doing it. 
It's the unnamed recognition of how dependent you are. Like, basically, you're born like a baby. You're born with a ton of healthy shame. You're going like, you know, I'm going to pee on me. <laughs> and you're going to clean it up. Because I can't, and you need to. It's like the acceptance of powerlessness. I'm born into it, and it's all good. They think it's fine. They think it's giggly. Right? And I can remember when one of our sons changing the diaper, he pees on the wall. And somebody said, he's going to be an artist. <laughs> you know, it's like, like there's a celebration, an okay witness with it. Like, but then they get a little older, they, they'll get spanked or something for peeing on the wall. So it's healthy shame is the acceptance of myself as dependent. It's normal. I'm conscious of neediness. We're right into the book of Jeremiah. I'm conscious of neediness. And I'm made to be like that. And when I experience my neediness, I cry. I show you fear. I ask for help. I tell you I don't want you to leave. I ask you to stay. I cry when you're gone. I say, I don't like it like this. I don't like it like this. You'll see little kids build building blocks, and then one hits, and then they all fall, and they get all mad, and we tell them not to be. Like, it's, you know, it is what it is, which used to be, life's not fair, or it doesn't work that way, or try harder. Put it back. Don't cry. Do you need to cry? Don't cry. Just keep trying. Put it back. Guys, they're protesting the tragedy of life. They just ran into it, and they're going, Ugh! We do it all the time. Oh, but we have a right to because it's big people stuff like somebody didn't say what I wanted them to say to me today. Guys, a block wall, and that's the same thing. An ice cream phone, also ice cream cone, is equal to your house burning down to a child. <laughs> pain is pain. It's hard to believe. Pain is pain. The only person's skin you're ever going to walk in is your own. So we need to help children walk in theirs really well, which means they'd be able to name what's happening inside their skin. Okay? And guess what? If they can name what's happening in their skin and they can remain conscious of who they are and what they are and what they're feeling, guess what? You can't give what you don't have. If they care about themselves, then they will be able to? Bing. Healthy shame allows us to develop a thing called consciousness of self, which turns into conscience of another. Conscience. I'm a self. You're a self. You and I are the same, right? You understand humans recognize each other? We go along like tree, squirrel, turtle, person. We do that, <laughs> right? So you smell like me. I smell like you. I'm going like, I share. Hey, I bet if somebody pinches you, it hurts. Because when somebody pinches me, it hurts. Okay, and you go, sure does. And that'll remind me not to pinch you because I don't like it either. And then one day I pinch you. Like, and you get mad and you cry. And I'm going like, okay, I know what that's like. I'm sorry. Instead of, that shouldn't hurt. What are you, a baby? Right? Now, how many of you have been hurt, experienced tears and apologized, been hurt and said it shouldn't, told yourself to get over it, that's not big enough for it to bother you? You get what I'm saying? We go against God. Anything that bothers you bothers God. We go, not for me. The, 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 the disciple, Peter, cat knew pain. Cat knew clumsy. The guy knew messing up. And he said, guess what I found out? <laughs> Anything that bothers me, 
bothers God. Cast all of your anxieties, have the humility to cast all of your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. And healthy shame says, uh, you can tell me about you because I know what it's like to be human. Don't tell me about you because I know what it's like to be you. You tell me about you because I know what it's like to be me. See? And the more sensitive I am to being human, the more I can care about you. And that's called empathy. Healthy shame is the birthplace of consciousness. This is a really cool thing. Consciousness is awareness of other people in the world and me in it too. Like, wow. And what allows you to experience your consciousness is feelings. And living in a world where people say, have them, they're yours. They're going to tell you a lot and I'm going to help you with them. Okay? They're a form of communication about what it's like to live in this world. Hopefully with other people who get it too and they can show you what to do with it. You don't put it aside, you bring it out. And let's, let's share and walk through it because I know what it's like. Parents with healthy shame are pretty empathic parents because they haven't forgotten what it's like to be a child. That's the only way you can really be the nurturing parent. Not trying to prevent the childhood you had through your children but remembering the childhood you had for its greatness and its not so greatness, its badness even, and its loss. Not trying to prevent it again, but because you've lived through it well, you can walk your child through the pain they're going to experience. Real different deal. But you've got to be a giraffe on ice, tilt to the book in this spring. So healthy shame, it allows us to develop a thing called empathy. And if you've got empathy, it's going to, hard, it's going to be very hard for you to stay sick. Now, toxic shame is a contempt towards yourself for being human. Toxic shame means no shame. No shame. Ah, shame. Ah, catharsis, no catharsis. Ah, shame, no shame. No healthy shame. See, toxic shame despises you as human. It denies that you're afraid. And if you are afraid, you judge yourself for being so. See, Toxic shame is this. Toxic shame is a judge doing this to you who's human. Okay? And the judge says, look, you know what? You should have this. You should have that. You didn't do this. You didn't that. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to let you try again. I'm going to let you try again. Okay? Now, you should do this, and you should do that, and you should try harder. And I'm going to tell you why. The reason is because of this and that and that and that. So because you want to live and you don't want to be sentenced, rather you don't want to be put in prison, you accept the sentence of trying again and you're kind of like out on whatever it's called, uh, probation, something, probation, something, whatever it is, you're out. Pay your bail. And you go try. And before you know it, you're right in front of the judge again. And the judge is going, you know what? I don't want to see you in my courtroom again. You're going like, promise the judge, this time. Until you finally go, just put me in... I, I'm done. Kill me. Toxic shame leads you to death because it's contempt for yourself as human. Here's the great tragedy. It's a judge towards a person being judged. There's no jury. Toxic shame doesn't allow a jury. The judge doesn't allow a jury. You know what a jury is? You know what a jury is in America? What's it called? A jury of what? Got it. A jury of empathy. Empathy, mercy, conscience. Consciousness. 
I know what it would be like for me if I were him. It's a right sentencing, but not a judgment of them, really. You see? You get it? A jury of your peers, you have a chance for an accurate consequence instead of a judgment as worthless. Isn't that amazing? So toxic shame becomes our voice within us judging us. Have you ever heard the phrase, who is it that condemns us? In the book of Romans, the greatest chapter possibly or probably in the Bible, it's the one that says there's no condemnation and there's no way that we're going to get away from God because God sure ain't going to get away from us. There's no height, no depth, no distance, no width. Like God's love is all in. And you can't be condemned. So, but then it says, who is it that condemns us? So he's saying, it's not Jesus, it's not God, it's not you. I wonder who that is. Right? It's the toxic shame. And whoever owns toxic shame and wherever toxic shame comes from, you worthless, no account, piece of junk. And we're going like, yeah. So the guy, if the guy drowning named John Newton heard that one, there'd be no amazing grace. See, John Newton was saying, I don't want to drown. I want to live. I want to live. I know I messed up. I know I messed up. Oh, God, I messed up. I know I did. Save me. And then he gets out and writes the song. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff happening in between. <laughs> but, you know. And where would we be without it? Where would we be without it? But what did it cost them to write it? Anybody wants to write that great song? I don't know if you really... I don't know. Sometimes you pay a, the one, it is well with my soul. Ooh, yeah. No, no, I don't want to be famous like that, right? Right, yeah. But if you're going to live with passion, you may wind up, all your gifts may be poured out or in by living fully, okay? So healthy shame it's kind of like the thing we've got to get back to because healthy shame is the acceptance of ourselves as human. And the beginning of being human is feel your feelings. All right? And then there's this other feeling called gladness. Oh, by the way, there's the gladness thing. Okay. Gladness is a feeling we have that comes from being adept at the other seven feelings. It's, it's gift. The gift of gladness is joy. And you know what joy always has in it? Always, 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 always. Joy always has sadness in it. So gladness is a feeling you have when you get good at the other seven feelings. It's derivative. You can't, you can't have a wind up with it because you know what's ruling your life? Not a search for happiness, but passion. You're all in. And that is joy. This is Stephen James, the Executive Director of Sage Hill Counseling. Thanks for listening to the Sage Hill Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd. If you're interested in learning more about the power of our core eight emotions, I encourage you to check out Chip's book, The Voice of the Heart, A Call to Full Living.